What's up, what's up, podcast listeners? On this episode, I'm doing a dual episode with Pete Lampson, CEO, Jazz HR, and Tim Pratt, Vice President, Senior Vice President, excuse me, of Diversified Services for Prism HR. Both of these fellows are guys that I just completely look up to as individuals and their careers, the way they conduct themselves, the way that they lead people. Um, but also, we dive in quite a bit into the world of small businesses. Part of it's the reaction to what happened with COVID, but everybody's a little COVIDed out with uh, all the podcasts that are coming out. And so what we did is just talked about our heart, our definition of small businesses, our heart for small businesses, where we see the world going that's going to shape small businesses, and the fact that at the end of the day, we all believe that small business is the backbone that's holding the American economy up. And we just dive deep into that and just have a ton of fun. And so I respect uh, Pete like crazy for leading Jazz HR. I respect Tim for leading Prism. And these guys are just doing some amazing, amazing things in their organizations. And we just talk a little bit of smack and have a lot of fun. So Pete, Tim, thanks a ton for being a guest on this podcast. And so excited for this to be released to the listeners. Tim, Pete, thanks so much for being on this podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So we're, we're talking small business. And I think this is a... I, I think overall, so many people are talking around the idea of COVID and the reaction to small businesses and just companies in general. We have these weird reactions, how the stock market hit all-time highs yesterday. I think it's down 850 today. And so these really remarkably odd swings that's going on in the world. And one of the things, Tim, Pete, what we've talked about is just the world of small business. And so I'd love to dive in and kind of get where we see like the world going, some different insights, how the landscape is changing. So I think it's going to be a really, really fun conversation. But if you guys wouldn't mind, maybe Pete, you can start and then Tim, you can you can lead. Would you guys give a little bit of insight what you guys do? Tim, I know or, uh, Pete, you've been on before, but just give a little background for the listeners and then we can uh, we can roll from here. Sure. Um, so uh, I'm the CEO of Jazz HR and we are a recruiting solution for small businesses, which we defined as any business with between about 25 and 500 employees. Been here for about four and a half years um, and uh, uh, love coming to work every day. And, and being in the SMB space is where I've spent my entire career, um, generally with technology-backed businesses, kind of emerging growth companies themselves. Um, more often than not, venture-backed, some hits and some misses. Prior to Jazz HR, I ran global revenue for a company called Carbonite that we went public along the way, and it was a great run and, and fun to be doing the same thing again here at Jazz HR. So uh, delighted to be here and should be a fun conversation. I actually didn't know that you guys went, I didn't know you were part of the public offering. How long were you there before you guys went public? Uh, I joined in, so Carbonite was originally a consumer-facing brand, I mean, still is. Um, sure. I was hired to launch their small business uh, market expansion, and that was in 2010. Okay. Uh, we went public, boy, if I recall correctly, the tail end of 2011. So I've been there for almost two years. Um, and then I left there in the latter part of 2015 to, uh, to come to Jazz HR. Awesome. All right, Tim, what you got for us? So Matt, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. So super excited to be here with uh, with you and Pete today. So I'm Tim Pratt. I'm senior vice president at Prism HR. So Prism HR is a technology platform that really uh, is the power behind much of the HR HR outsourcing space, HRO space, and specifically when you start to get into some of the acronyms like uh, PEOs, professional employer organizations, or administrative service uh, organizations. So uh, we're really uh, the power behind those those companies. And, you know, we view our mission as being 
really integral to that small business owner because their employees are going into that portal every day. They're doing their benefits enrollment. They're getting, they're getting data uh, a, a variety of different ways. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that, uh, you know, we were very excited. We've had a relationship with uh, Pete and Jazz HR for a lot of years and a lot of ton of happy customers uh, on the, on the platform there. So a little bit about me. So I've spent uh, 24 years in and around the HR outsourcing space right out of, uh, right out of college. And uh, sometimes uh, I feel like uh, you don't pick your career, your career kind of picks you. And I uh, had an opportunity to get into the employee leasing industry and didn't, had no idea what that was and uh, started out as an HR rep and then cut my teeth in, in HR payroll and then went back and worked on my master's in, uh, in finance. And that was in uh, 2008 when I thought I was going to leave the industry and go work on Wall Street. And that, uh, that was not going to happen in, in 2008, but had an opportunity to work with one of the uh, largest industry players then at the time, Oasis Outsourcing, which was later acquired by, uh, by Paychex. And uh, there I ran underwriting uh, for a couple of years and then ran uh, operations uh, at Oasis. Uh, went on and I was uh, CEO and then CEO at a mid-size HR outsourcing company in Houston, Houston, Texas, and then came over to uh, Prism HR, where I began uh, our marketplace and insurance initiative. And uh, now I oversee a handful of business units, including uh, a couple different uh, product lines here at, at Prism. And just uh, over the years, I've worked with you know probably thousands of small business owners, and uh, the landscape is changing just just so much right now. And uh, excited to talk about you know, what business owners can uh, do today to make sure they continue to stay in business and how they might thrive in the, in the future here. Love that. And uh, <clears throat> two fun guys to have this conversation with. So I, I want to dive right in. Actually, I, I would love definitionally for you guys to help me with something. So what would you guys think about the difference between a venture-backed company, a venture-backed small business, and a bootstrap small business? And how do you guys think that those operate differently in my life, for example, I started a lawn care company, got up to about seven employees, but that was literally bootstrap, bootstrap, bootstrap. Whereas we closed a funding round and we went from five employees to you know eight employees, literally like that with checks that were written to us, right? And so very different the way small businesses operate. So in, in your guys' world, you know, how do you view small business yet the difference between maybe a venture backed or funding backed versus a bootstrap and how, how do they function a little bit differently? And then we'll, we'll dive in, you know, kind of the, the small business side of things as well. So uh, I, I would say they're both very viable options to getting a business started, and there's no right or wrong answer, um, and pros and cons to both, right? And 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 every situation is different. But but bootstrapping, uh, you know, funding your growth through the returns on your own investment is a great great way to go. And and there's a, a number of, of benefits to that. I mean, first, you're, you're maintaining 100% ownership of the company. Um, VCs don't give their investment capital away for free, nor should they. And, and so you're maintaining full, full um, uh, ownership. You're also maintaining full control. And, and while generally, I think there's a, a most, more often than not, a harmonious relationship between VCs and boards, ultimately, depending on how much control you, you have given up, um, it, it, you know, that can be an issue as well. So, so there's no, you know, I don't think there's one that's better than the other. Um, uh, I, but I, I, businesses that have been highly successful and are bootstrapped, 
um, often will provide a, a, a really, really lucrative return to the, the initial founder or founders. Uh, on the venture side, um, the benefits there, and that's typically where I played, um, I've founded one company, but I'm normally not the, the idea guy. I'm the person that perhaps brings some commercial focus uh, to someone else's ideas. And that is why I end up playing in the, in the venture back world. But that's, you're, you're accepting dollars to accelerate, dollars up front to accelerate growth. So you have investment capital um, uh, that you would not have if you were bootstrapping. So you can hire more people, you can drive more go-to-market initiatives. Um, and, uh, and, and assuming that upfront investment leads to a good outcome, and it can be a faster outcome than bootstrapping, um, it's a great experience for all. So, and on top of it, I think a benefit that, that, that VCs will bring to the table, not all, but, but certainly the, 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 the better ones is, is an experience base that you have the opportunity to tap into. You know, any business is gonna run into, a, into myriad problems and challenges throughout their uh, growth trajectory and, and VCs who either themselves who've been through it before or who have networks that that founders can tap into can overcome those you know you have the benefit of of learning from someone else's mistakes versus making them on your own dime and so again no right or wrong answer um and uh i i think both can be very very successful depending on what you're looking to do uh, so i i i agree with everything pete said with the exception of one thing i do think pete's an idea guy <laughs> so he's selling himself a little a little short there. Uh, I've known Pete for a while, and he's uh, got some got some got some great 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 ideas. For for me, the difference is uh, if you ask any you know any working person uh, in this country or around the world, I always find that you know no one loves having a boss, right? So, but when you bootstrap your company, uh, you're your own boss, and you are you know, you get the opportunity to do that. You're accountable to yourself, but that comes with a whole different set of challenges. And, and when you look around um, like our customer base, our average um, HR outsourcing company, the average small business that works with that type of firm only has about 25 employees. Many of those are bootstrapped companies. They're, they're looking to make sure that they're keeping the, keeping the lights on and, and making that next payroll and trying to do everything they can to keep their, their top talent. Uh, all of a sudden, you've taken money uh, from a, a, a venture firm, and, and as Pete said, that doesn't uh, come without uh, without a price to it, as it as it should. Uh, there's there's something to that, and, and you can really accelerate some some growth there. But you can get a huge return being a, a bootstrapped uh, company in the in the right environment. I mean, Matt, how do you think about it? Well, <clears throat> I mean. I agree with everything that you guys said the, the oddest I think difference for me was the thought of paying myself. So the bootstrap, you know, when you go mow a lawn, right, I know how much my expenses are. And then either I'm choosing to invest in more equipment or more employees for whatever reason, or I'm taking it off the top and making what I make. Whereas now all of a sudden being, you know, the first time that stepping into raising capital for the first time, which I'd never experienced, never even thought about, the big flip for me was all of a sudden like, oh, I already have like, I don't have to go work for my paycheck, not like literally like go mow a lawn for that paycheck that day, but it was more like baked in. So I'm more focusing much more strategically for a year from now, two years from now than I am like this week. And so I think like that was, the, I guess, quite frankly, the biggest learning curve for me is the shift from thinking about this week to much more thinking about a year from now, six year, you know, 
six months from now, a year from now in that experience. But I don't know. I also think one of the biggest differences, not all the time, but I often find that a bootstrap company is, is, is created for a cash flow model to great, you know, great salaries, you know, that side of things, whereas a venture back company is obviously built for an exit. And I think the way that the company functions and makes decisions shifts quite a bit, not all the time. And, and quite frankly, there's plenty of venture back companies that have just been cash cows and make a ton of money and give great returns. But for the most part, what I've seen is that bootstrap go towards, hey, you know, their lifestyle business is going to be owned for a while, whereas a venture back company oftentimes is aiming for an exit. And I think just the decision making changes a little bit. So I guess that'd be kind of mine. And that's been the biggest, I mean, from being a founder of one to a founder of another, it's totally a lot of similarities, but also a ton of differences. So I don't know, that's been my experience. Figuring it out. So too. Let me add, I got a question for, for Pete on this, because it, it feels like in some cases, being um, venture backed and looking for that exit, that's a different outcome than being bootstrapped. Typically when you're bootstrapped, you don't have the exit in mind. So you're really trying to build a great company. And I think that so many founders, they can either, they think about this as mutually exclusive options where you can build a great company or build a company for a big exit. Uh, Pete, to your credit, Jazz HR is a great company and you have some financial backing. I think you bridge those two, those two areas. I mean, uh, do you think a lot of founders think of those two things as mutually exclusive and, and is it, it seems like it's possible. It's just a really hard line to walk to build both a great company and have it set up for a future, yeah, I, uh, I a, think a nice future I, exit. And not that it can't be done, but I think people that chase that, hey, I'm going to build this for a big exit. Uh, boy, I think that's a flawed strategy. And and again, it can happen. Sure, it can. But if you if someone builds a great company that is proven to be as a as an ability to scale up, proves to be sustainable through good times and bad, there will be at some point a market for that company. And and they may or may not choose to to take advantage of depending on what their own objectives are, but, but build a great company like period. And then, and then see where it goes from there. I mean, there's, I can't recall of a, of a single decision we've made that was because we were, we were moving towards an exit. We have had some where we've said, Hey, this is a great strategy. And it has the side benefit of, I think a market might really, you know, an external market that, 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 uh, uh, right. either strategic or financial market that, that could have interest in jazz HR down the road that could, this maybe could be attractive, but you, that's the, that's the fries with the burger. You, you never make the decision for that reason. You got to build a business first and foremost. I think that was uh, one hundred percent agree. My yeah. biggest mistakes in the first two years of launching wedge was everything I was thinking about is how do we get this thing acquired? And then all of a sudden there was this shift to, if we build a really, really good company, if we actually build something that has sustainability or can last, then all of a sudden that's going to, people are going to be interested in acquiring that versus like, knocked, you do that. You'll get knocks on your door. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Versus trying so hard to, Hey, we're building this because somebody's because by the time the buyer is ready, the timing may not, I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong with strictly making decisions around how do we get this thing sold versus go make a good that's company right. and people are going to want to buy it. That's right. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. All right. So Pete, you also, I don't know how you would, you know, you think about motivating employees and driving culture, and I don't even know how, 
I don't know. I, I, I think those two things would quickly be at odds with one another. Um, so. Yeah, no, I, and I also think it causes you to make some really poor decisions the moment somebody does come around and interest, you know, make, is interested in acquiring you. If your whole goal is to get acquired, the moment that conversation starts to come up, I think you even get worse in your decision-making. We had right. a conversation a year, year, year and a half ago about somebody pretty early stage being interested in acquiring us, and that was all I could think about, all the decisions we were making, and we, got, we had nothing to show for it after that for some various right. different reasons, but it, it was royal distract. I mean, so I... I right. I think you can make a lot of mistakes with that logic from yeah. the beginning. So yep. Pete, you mentioned uh, uh, somewhere along the lines of, you know, the, the benefit of uh, bringing in venture capital uh, is the, you know, advisory side of things, the advice, the previous market opportunity that, that whether the, the team or founders or advisors have experienced. So as we step into a world where there's a lot of challenges right now for both venture back companies and bootstrap companies, you know, overall like high level, and then we're going to get into the weeds, but where do you guys see the world of small businesses you know, what is it, uh, September, September of uh, 2020, where do, you, where do you guys see the landscape of small businesses coming out of the pandemic world? Like, what are you guys seeing today from, from both of your industries in, in, in your world? I, what we see is, is fragmentation, whereas back in, let's call it mid-March to early May, you know, everybody got a two by four to the forehead, right? Everybody. Um, and since then, for us at least, um, um, starting in June, we have seen a, a resurgence in small business recruiting, um, but it's different than it was before. And, and so I'll, I'll unpack that. Um, the, the industries that got hit the hardest, um, which in our world were generally kind of two, there were the the, the very small businesses, the restaurants, the retail stores, the health club, that sort of thing. Um, those businesses are still struggling. In certain, in certain geographic pockets, they're doing better, but they're still struggling. Um, and then travel and hospitality, right? Still struggling a lot. You, you know, the, the air industry that's, that's in the news every day right now and, and hotels are struggling. Um, we, uh, in some part by design and some part by luck, did not have a lot of exposure in those two areas. We had some. Um, and, and then, but we've seen growth in, in areas that are in some ways new for us, but when you, you see the industries that are growing, it kind of makes sense, right? So supply chain management, we've seen tremendous hiring in, which makes sense, right? It's, it's the people that are, they're getting, you know, you know, we all have delivery trucks trundling down our driveways four times a day right now and, and everything it takes to make that happen. Excuse me. Everything it takes to make that happen. Uh, there's a lot of supply chain management there, so a lot of recruiting there. Healthcare, a lot of recruiting. Um, financial services, a lot of recruiting. Which, and I don't necessarily know if that's related to some of the market strength or not, but a lot of financial services. We're seeing um, um, manufacturing bounce back a little bit, um, whereas early on, that's that's been one of the few that did get kind of hit early on when we all went immediately at home, and then as businesses have opened up again, we've seen some resurgence there. So, um, so in pockets, um, we're seeing it. Uh, interestingly, um, starting in April, which was a low point for new jobs posted, we have seen more new jobs posted uh, sequentially every month from April through the end of August. Um, and in fact, both July and August uh, were the single largest number of new jobs posted by Jazz HR's customers 
than at any point in in our customer uh, in our in our history. Uh, we've got we've got about seven thousand customers right now, um, and and if I recall correctly, we had forty seven thousand new jobs posted in the month of August alone. So we think that's a really good sign, kind of for all of us, right? And because we need to get this engine going again, it's the backbone for for uh, the American economy. It certainly is a you know. You know, Prism does the same thing. I mean, they're they're you know directly involved in the small business community um, ultimately, and so so we're seeing some very very encouraging signs. And I'm not convinced it's not going to be a choppy recovery. Still, I mean, there's there's potential new health headwinds. You know, who knows what happens when these kids really get back to college, and does that lead to more outbreaks that we're starting to see right now? Does that lead to more economic headwinds? There is political uncertainty that's going to be you know is already happening, but culminates in November. So there's, there's some unknowns to come. So we may see some fits and starts, but, but right now it's been a, uh, a, a uh, somewhat surprising and, and wonderful four month recovery. I don't know. I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I, I agree with Pete. I think come March, April, everyone got hit over the head with a two by four. It started to, to, to recover uh, pretty nicely. And, and, you know, we've seen that in our own business. There are certain, um, certain industries that are recovering uh, really fast and in some, uh, you know, in certain sectors of the country like hospitality, where there continue to be outbreaks that, that aren't necessarily uh, doing as well. So it's, it's geographic in nature too, but I think that out of any chaos comes opportunity. So the, the more that you as a business owner can continue to pivot and think about new ways of generating revenue and maybe that comes with uh, adjacent product lines or adjacent services to uh, to what you're doing to continue. I, I mean, every business owner is strapped in a way that they have to conserve cash and live to play another day. And that's what that's what I think they you know these business owners need to do in the future because the future does look a little choppy right now. So I think those small business owners just really have to be opportunistic and taking advantage of of the things. Uh, that, that are that are out there. I got a, a friend here in, in Sarasota. He was in the uh, soup making business. He quickly pivoted with all of his suppliers. He's got a huge mask making business uh, <laughs> now that he's distributing nationwide uh, these masks and he pivoted so quickly and he's doing fantastic. He, he was, uh, you know, he already had a good business. Business dropped off the, the face of the planet here and he pivoted very, very quickly uh, just out of that, uh, out of that business. So uh, I think good for you have him. to look for those opportunities and, and really try to uh, take advantage of, of your strengths and capabilities uh, to be there in the, in the long run. So hearing kind of the more industry side of things, this is getting a little in the weeds and I don't know if you guys would have insight into this. Are you guys seeing any like departmental reactions for small businesses? Meaning like, are they like, Pete, you mentioned, you know, all the different new job postings. Are those specifically in one department of an organization? Are they maybe chopping some departments, maybe not hiring? Do you guys have any insight and obviously whatever you feel comfortable sharing, but departments that are growing or potentially departments that are not? Do you have any reactions of what you've seen recently? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I, I, I would answer it if I could. I don't have that level of, of functional area specificity. We, specificity. we track it by, by vertical in terms of where hiring is, not by functional area, although it's actually a really interesting idea. Maybe it's something we should look at, but I, I, I can't answer that. 
Yeah, we Pete's we got a new analytics idea now. Yeah, all of a sudden, <laughs> down the rabbit hole, Pete's yeah, idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we like we've it. seen we've seen. I mean, Pete, I can totally agree. One of the industries that like we we are doing more interviews alone in this industry a day than we were doing a whole week before COVID hit with video interviewing, wow. but all in logistics. Logistics and supply yeah. chain is absurd. I mean, it's we that has alone like eight times our weekly volume. Uh, just by sure candidate volume. And a lot right. of those are like high turnover roles, which is fascinating totally. to see, to see how like these are. And also, so where I live in Holland, Herman Miller, Steelcase and Hayworth, the three largest uh, furniture manufacturers in the country are all within 30 miles of us. And I have a lot of family members who own small businesses that supply to these major furniture. And it's remarkable to see how like, Manufacturing is actually surging, at least in that, which I would think furniture manufacturing would be on the downtick. But it's interesting yep. how they've adopted. So, for example, my my uncle's company, they are creating all of the barriers between office space. So the the uh, wow. basically the the gap if we were sitting next to each other at an office. I mean, and they have just been absolutely crushing it, which is just a reaction to before yeah. they were making you know open concept office furniture. Now they're making just dividers, and it's just really. Yep to see that reaction so matt what one other thing on this i think you're going to see the acceleration of change pick up i mean a few years ago we saw what netflix did to blockbuster right i i right. i mean and, and now you're seeing you know peloton do the same thing to gold's gym not to pick on on two brands but you're going to see that acceleration of if you're a small business owner you have to be thinking five steps ahead not three steps ahead in terms of you know really uh, you know where that puck's going because it's critically important right now to uh, to be out ahead of that and that's not always easy to do but having some level of agility and being nimble in your you know with your staff and in your decision making feels pretty important right now to be able to pivot uh, on a dime to be able to do uh, new things and just just compete both within the you know within your local community and as you as you grow your business. I, I mean, so I heard um, there's a enterprise that when, you know, COVID first hit, everybody shut down, they were planning on a two-year rollout for Microsoft Teams, and they did it in eight days, um, basically wow. force need for it. And not that I ever want a pandemic to hit, not that I ever want people to constantly be scared for their jobs, but the one byproduct I do love that's happening is we now have like quickly forced ourselves a reason to make quick decisions. Not always, I'm not, I, I don't mean bad decisions, but we forced, we now have a reason to say, we don't have time to just kill time for the sake of it. We actually have to put new actions into place. We have to put new technologies we have to place. We have to be thinking about things we've never thought about for quickly. We can't just have a meeting for the sake of having a meeting. We have to have some efficiency to it. I, Pete, as you alluded to, like allocating, or one of you guys alluded to the fact that like, you are spending your dollars very, very quickly and very, very appropriately now and, and making sure you're doing so as efficiently as possible. And I think that that's a really cool byproduct of all of this that's just causing all organizations to think a little bit differently. So again, not that I ever wanted a pandemic to happen, but I, I, I do love the fact that now, like how quickly companies are putting in, you know, recovery plans, which is phenomenal. So right. just cool thing, cool thing to be seen. Um, one, one of the, you know, transition a little bit. So um, let's, let's dive in a little bit on the remote work topic and, and kind of the, the reactions to that. And I think kind of the same thing falls in place. So 
Pete, obviously, I've visited both your offices, both in Boston and Pittsburgh when they were put into place. Awesome, amazing company culture. Super fun to be in both. And and so for you, with with you know, how have you managed obviously the shift of those things? And then also how are you managing? And Tim, love your insight on this obviously as well, too. But how are you guys managing just like company morale of not having the fun of talk, smack talking with your, you know, Dan Bresson sitting next to him, smack talk. I mean, there's an energy that you get from being near those people. How do you manage the change with it all being remote? And how have you guys kind of handled that? Yeah. And we were, we were 100% in the, in the, in office culture, right. And, and we want people and we hired people who would want to come into an office every day. And if you wanted to, if you were a terrific employee and you wanted to be home every day, we probably weren't the right fit for you. And so we recruited for that. And all of a sudden, you know, literally overnight, that completely does a 180. So um, it's something that we, like a lot of companies, you know, Prism as well, have given a, a, a lot of thought to. And, and it's something we can, our, our, our thought and our planning on this continues to evolve because things you do, or we did for like all companies for the first month or two, they start to get stale. And so you change it up, but it's, it is a, um, it's a, I don't know that we have it perfect or that we have it necessarily unique, but it's a combination of, of, of interpersonal touch points um, enabled by technology. Again, no big surprise there, right? So, so we've all gotten, we're really good about, about you know, video chats always. I, I rarely have conversations on my phone. Um, um, we had Slack as a tool in the company already that a, a number of folks had um, at the time. I, I did not have it. I remember thinking, A, the last thing I want is yet another way for people to get a hold of me. And B, I, I, and I don't quickly, want to, And quickly, not to mention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and thinking, you know what, I want to give the team a place where I'm not, right? So they can you know, God forbid someone goes in and just have a couple of laughs now and then, and you know, that we all need that every day and not to think, oh gosh, you know, Pete or someone else is not there lurking and probably thinking we're screwing around, which I don't, but so I, but I've become a slap, a slack adopter and it's been great. And, and we use it for work and we use it for fun. And sometimes they're serious things and sometimes they're not. And, and I think finding that balance where we can be human with each other is, is important. Um, and we do think, you know, we have the Friday happy hours, a lot of, Companies have those, but but we've got a uh, a terrific head of HR who puts together things like Jazz HR Jeopardy, which is usually you know kind of <laughs> trivia and history about the company, and that's fun. And we do name that tune, and we do movie scene, like just fun stuff every Friday at four. And the team is constantly coming up with with new things. Um, we've also had um, um, you, you know the, the very difficult conversation of of racial strife and and the needed diversity and inclusion that is so top of mind everywhere right now as well it should be um, has been something that we like all companies have 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 needed to address and we've tried to meet this head on in a very open and transparent way and be candid about about areas where we think we do uh, a pretty good job in areas where we need to be better and areas we can improve and those are harder conversations to not have in person and to do them and and but you 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 get through as best you can through technology so i think that that you know without having video tools without having slack i mean if this had happened 10 15 years ago you think about the the 
the difference in, in all of our daily ability to get through this as we all are now. So I don't think we've necessarily nailed it or do, done things better or worse than others, but it's certainly something we pay a lot of attention to um, and, uh, and continually focus on and look for new ideas and new ways of thinking because things do get stale over time and so forth. But um, keeping it, I think at the end of the day, it's um, not that you can replace that kind of human touch or, or you know through a computer screen uh, either typed or or in you know face to face in a video but as best you can we have to try and that's probably in our been our mantra more than anything else yeah we've been we've been doing a lot of the same that employee engagement piece is is so critical and it it prism hr i think the the whole leadership team has been doing a great job of having various touch points with employees uh, you know, skip level conversations. PT, to your point in Slack, we use we use Slack as well. Gary, our CEO, started a Slack channel called the Break with Gary, and it's really to replace a little bit of that you know water cooler chat that you might get uh, in an office, where uh, Gary will go in and pose a question and and kick up some conversations. And the more you can engage with um, with all of your employees and and uh, that matters. That 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 really matters. I, I think another element to this, um, I think it at first uh, it, it was this was really interesting uh, to go remote and see how long this would go on. I think many companies thought this was not going to go on that long, and here we are in September, and we all continue to be uh, remote in one way, shape, or form. But employees have different needs too. And now the kids, some kids are going back to school. Some kids aren't. People have uh, maybe, um, you know, older parents that are living with them. They have, uh, you know, it's possible some people haven't had a doctor's appointment in six months because of this. And now they have different needs during those office hours. So to have some flexibility in and around your schedule is, is now more important than ever. I can tell you that going into COVID, we had about a third of our workforce that was uh, remote and two thirds worked either out of our corporate office yeah. in Massachusetts or here in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, now that's, that's wildly changed. If you have a doctor's appointment, you know, there's an expectation around um, results and those results, you know, are, are a measure of that productivity, but staying engaged to make sure that you're hitting certain milestones and, and doing certain things is, is really, really key for, for our customers. We have to continue to, Make sure they have the tool sets that are important to um, that employee engagement. Also, Pete, you uh, mentioned uh, you know the the diversity and inclusion topic, which is really important. How do we you know for our customers take that technology uh, that technology first uh, uh, approach uh, to that? That's one of the things that actually got Matt and I talking about a, a partnership and and Matt's tool with competitive wedge and how that can uh, contribute. And, and we're dealing with a, a variety of different different tools uh, that are going to be meaningful to that. Now, as companies are talking about going back to the office, I think companies have a real, I think companies have an obligation to keep employees safe. Uh, and that employee safety component is key. So we're doing a lot at, at PRISM uh, as employees have a desire to come back to the office to make sure that we're doing everything we can with uh, all the, the typical things that the CDC might recommend around sanitizer and, and different things on the door handles. And um, uh, I came into the office today and we have arrows around our office to keep the flow 
uh, of, of people going in a, in a certain, certain direction. We also launched some partnerships that help with, uh, help with that as well to give best practices, depending on the industry that you might be in, uh, best practices on how to keep your employees safe and subsequently your customers safe. If you have employees that are interacting with customers on a, on a regular basis, uh, at their place of, uh, place of work as well. So it is going to be a very different environment, uh, moving forward. And I think anyone that's in a, a leadership role really has to consider that employee safety aspect and, and uh, you know, how they continue to engage all the employees and, and keep them uh, pr- productive and moving in the right direction. So on that line, this is a little bit more of a darker way this conversation is going to go, but I, I really want you guys' thought on this. Um, and, and you guys can give me pushback as well. I don't, I think some, not all, some organizations used the pandemic as an excuse to lay off some of their employees. And I don't necessarily, I think there is some reaction. I, I think there's a huge amount that we're suffering lock, last lack of revenue, a lot of different things. But I also think there are some much larger organizations that did some layoffs that were actually more of a better timed, and they now have, which I don't necessarily think is the right way to go. But with then potentially organizations shifting towards maybe all remote all the time, do you guys, how do you guys see or anticipate like businesses not becoming strictly transactional with their, with their employees and their work culture? How do we avoid completely shifting towards like a gig economy with our people? Because, you know, for example, Wedge, we're hiring a developer right now. And all of a sudden, you know, we're looking at, you know, all over the country to hire this remote position, which is fantastic and great. And we're excited about that. But all of a sudden, the idea of, you know, paying a much higher wage for somebody who's working at home in one city versus another city logically doesn't make as much sense anymore. And I'm not saying that's the perfect way to go about thinking about it. But all of a sudden, I instantly shifted in a much more transactional mode of that employee to our company. And I'm not saying that's right. And I think the byproduct of that you know, you think organ- so many different companies thinking that way, we, we shift more towards a gig economy. For one, my, I guess, question all that is, do you guys see us shifting that way? Or do you see, I guess, in your organizations, the desire and the need to get back into the office, the desire and the need to build the culture? Or do you see the desire of maybe your employees? And again, obviously, I don't want to touch on anything that's not comfortable to talk about. But do you see people shifting towards wanting that? I'd rather just be a 1099 consultant, do, you know, 30 hours a week of this project and be done and move on to the next one. I mean, that's where I kind of am wondering where things are going and, and maybe your guys thought on it gets a touch. Esoteric, I, I, we'll be yeah. Honest, so I'll tell you, I think people want to be, you know, this plays back to the conversation of you build a company for, for exit or, or to be great. And it, this plays into that conversation. I, you know, when we interview folks and talk to folks, we're not seeing the desire to want to be a, a 1099 people want to come in they want to have a great experience with a great company they want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves they want to make they want to know that their contribution matters they got to have a manager that's engaging that's trying to help them learn develop and and stay engaged in those uh in those outcomes so uh, transactionally yes any business owner i think has to keep an eye on on various uh, performance indicators and, and, you know, revenue versus your cost is, is certainly one of those, one of those metrics. You have to keep a keen eye on cost right now, because as I said before, you definitely want to live to, to make sure you're, you're playing tomorrow too, but to get that employee in the boat with you and to align the incentives 
and align um, align your interests and values, uh, you can. That's that's the path and kind of the formula to to building a great company. I think at Prism, we've we've definitely tried to do that. Uh, Gary, our CEO, has been a, a terrific leader, and everyone on the senior leadership team has really contributed to um, you know a, a demonstration of being great managers and great leaders and aligning our incentives in a way that, that make the most sense to keep everyone moving in, in that path forward to be part of something that's greater than themselves. And I, I, I just think people still, that, that need and desire is not going to go away in my view. Yeah. I, I think, I think Tim is spot on. I, I, we're social creatures. We want to be together. And, and I mean, there's always going to be some subset of the, of the workforce that prefers a more transient 1099 environment, that's fine. It was there before, it's gonna be there after. But, but um, I think a movement away from kind of traditional career path, full-time employment, I, I don't see that happening. It certainly isn't anything I'd wanna be a part of. Um, we want people that are buying in for the long haul, to Tim's point. You know, we're trying to build something great. And I don't think you can do that with people that have one, fifth, one foot in, one foot out, and just looking for their next gig when this one runs out. So I. Um, you know, hey, for all of us, at times work is work, and it has its moments when it can be, you know, you're pulling your hair out. Um, but the flip side of that coin is it can be fun, it can be rewarding, it can be challenging, it can be, it's like sports for grownups. It's where you go to compete, and doing that as a team is fun. And um, and so I I I I don't see any, you know, I'm sure there'll be pockets where that happens, but I don't see any big movement like that happening. No, that's encouraging. I it's it's something that I I building a team and I mean as we're growing that's where we're thinking about and not having how do you not have transactional employees, right? How do you actually have people that buy into the mission of what we're trying to do? But yeah, I was just thinking through some of that of like yeah. So anyways, it's good. I like it. I need a little peep motivation like that every once in a while. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're not waking up, I, I, so I I have a view on that that I wake up every morning and I think this is my sport. Like, mm -hmm. and that's, that's how I feel about it. And, and if our employees get up and, and don't feel that way, you know, maybe there's a, a different career path uh, for that, but keeping those folks, uh, you know, just uh, aligned and in the boat with you uh, is, is meaningful every day. Yeah. Completely. Tim, I know you had a couple other questions too, that you were, you were kind of chewing on, you want to bring up, uh, obviously, and, and Pete, obviously, if you got any that you want to run by for this, feel free, but I wanted you guys give you guys a chance too. Yeah. I, I mean, the decentralized, uh, decentralized work is, is definitely interesting. I, I mean, Matt, you're running a company uh, now it's, it's, Growing. I mean, you're. I love your stat, by the way, on doing more interviews here in in a day than you've you've done in a week. I mean, how is the interview process is clearly clearly changing, and it's going to change significantly for for the future. Uh, what sort of outcomes? I mean, is it a? Are you finding that there's better outcomes using your tool? Is it too early to tell? What sort of Things should you think small business owners should be focused on as they're trying to to hire and make sure they're getting the right candidates? And I guess I got the same question for Pete too, but we'd love to hear your perspective on that, Matt. Yeah, um, I mean, so I think specifically, really, uh, it's impossible to say it's impossible not to say that 
COVID was the spring on hockey stick growth for us because so many things shifted remote, right? And so, you know, when, when, when the pandemic first broke out, there was the one of three reactions. Either people are laying off, people are freezing, not making any decisions, or people were hiring like crazy, the few unique essential businesses that were rapidly growing. And so what we saw was, as I talked about, like the initial, you know, the logistics, the healthcare, those just skyrocketed their, their use case, right? And I think then all of a sudden as things, not perfectly, but things are starting to open back up, there's those continue to hire, continue to grow. But now people are saying, well, there's a lot of things we were doing in the hiring process that was more of a formality. So for example, um, aside from even Wedge's product, but like I've had some companies say, we actually were a completely in-person organization, but we don't necessarily need to do the third and fourth and fifth in-person interview. We now can do a couple more on the front end side of things via video and then have the last in-person you know, meeting be a, more of like a formal, you know, formal side of things. And so I think for what we've seen just in the, in the town acquisition tech landscape is just very much like a shift of, and also sort of forcing the hand. So like, for example, there was probably 50 companies that I walked in the door in the last two or three years pitching our product. And they were like, yeah, yeah that's the way of the future. We just don't need that now that we're, you know, our immediately when this broke out, we, we, we need video of some way, help us like talk through us. And some of that's a perfect fit for wedge. Some of that's, Hey, here's a way you can use zoom. Right. I mean, so just, just, it's fascinating to see sort of the reactions as I talked about and how quickly people have responded. And I mean, I, dumb luck and things you don't plan. It's a good time to be in video interviewing. And we, we've been super fortunate to be a service that's grown. And obviously this has now helped fuel some resource, resources to, you know, create a much better product and grow with, you know, partners like you guys. And it's been, been phenomenal that way, but it's been really, really, really interesting. Just the, the, the sheer volume of people that we've seen go through the product. And obviously that's showing that companies are Hey, you know, we, we, we want to leverage video. We uh, don't necessarily need to do phone screens anymore. We don't necessarily need to do in-person, you know, in-person interviews anymore. So that's just been a really interesting response as well. And I could probably talk for hours about the way I think things are going to go, but you know, that's only as good as tomorrow brings. So. <laughs> well, in, in terms of, uh, of jazz HR, I, I think that, um, you know, you, Matt, you you referenced the three scenarios of people that laid off that had a hiring freeze or or uh, or were going gangbusters. Um, we were in the middle camp. We didn't lay anybody off, um, but we put on a hiring freeze for a few months that has now been uh, withdrawn or or you know we're now we're now hiring for a number of roles. And and I think that well, I know that video interviewing is new for us, um, but I think that speaks to adoption of of uh, a lot of tools. Right, that, that we've all sort of by been forced to adopt quickly. And I think one thing that has been remarkable to me is across the board, not just in video interviewing, but everywhere. And I'm not belittling video interviewing in, in any way, but across the board, there have been a remarkable transition of, of, for employees of just working differently to, to continue to drive results. And that's been, I, I, I mean, we see it at Jazz HR, I'm sure you see it in your organizations, I think across the board, that's the, the uh, companies and the American worker have done, I think, a, a remarkable job of, of making that transition into a completely different manner of executing. But, but specific to video interviewing, it's, it's certainly something we're doing now that we didn't, didn't do before. And parts of it I actually kind of like because you, you get, um, 
you know, to have sort of one-way answers to, to, to questions they're given, in, in some ways, it, I feel like it almost removes some of the bias in, in, in interviewing because there's, there's some of the bias is still there, whether it's, you know, in, in a number of ways, but, sure. but you avoid the bias of familiarity. I don't sit down and say, hey, Tim, you, you know, you're in Florida, but boy, I know you grew up in Boston and hey, I'm a Red Sox fan, you're a Red Sox fan. And all of a sudden we bond around something in common, which is wonderful and nice and social and we all do it. Um, but instead, I'm here. We're seeing candidates just answer a question, and then you you tend to not be biased by this familiarity and comfort level that perhaps you bonded over something in the first ten minutes of a meeting, and perhaps that makes us more effective interviewers. Tim, it's it's kind of touching on a little bit of what you brought up before this call. That was that's something that we've actually been been spending a lot of time thinking about and digesting around this whole kind of going back to the whole conversation around diversifying workforces, which is such an right. important conversation. And um, for five years since this whole thing was an idea in the napkin, I've never been in HR before. And you know, first question was talk about bias and discrimination with video, right? And so I learned to kind of have, be a part of this conversation. But then further and further and further, what we've realized in the whole conversation related to asynchronous is it's actually a platform to allow multiple people to have input on the same exact thing that we otherwise wouldn't. Pete, as you alluded to, if you sit down and have a great conversation interviewing Tim, you know, you're, you're gonna, you, you may be firing on all cylinders because you guys relate on a couple different things. We're another very fantastic candidate walks in the door, you don't relate on the same things. All of a sudden there's that, you know, that side of things where with tool like an asynchronous video interview, all of a sudden you're all able to look at the same exact thing you know, there's no question of what you're looking at. It's all the same thing. It's not one person's notes or it's not one person's interpretation. And that's where we've seen, you know, in, in more of the collaboration form, a huge, huge potential with helping tons of organizations on that conversation, which has been really, really fun and encouraging. Yeah. So yeah, it's been, been cool. Yeah. I, I think people, people like people that are like them, right? So like Pete was saying, you sit down and you go, okay, you know, I like the Red Sox. You like the Red Sox. Uh, of course the Red Sox have had their, good years and this year's not one of them um but uh but people like people that are like them so so to have this level it, it brings a new level of objectivity to the hiring practice which which i i i love the idea of using data around decision making has been uh you know trendy for a few years now but in the interviewing process it's really just starting to 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 take hold to take some of that subjectivity uh, out of it. So I, I, I love the, uh, the tool. And I think that that is going to be the, the way of the future, uh, just to get, uh, more people aligned to, to the outcomes that the businesses are looking for. Well, I could sales pitch all day long, but I don't know if you guys want to sit here and hear that. So, so my, my, my kind of closing, well, I guess I want to, is it, Tim Peters or anything else you guys, any other questions you want to touch on Tim, if you had any other? No, I, I, I appreciate uh, the conversation. This is, uh, this is great. I, I hope it's valuable. And, and Matt, thanks for hosting such a great podcast. I've been listening to it uh, now for a while. You always have uh, terrific guests. And I'm not just saying that because it's Pete's third time, <laughs> third time on. Uh, the trifecta, but, uh, baby. Come uh, on. No, I, I think you get like a jacket or a watch if you go for five, Pete. I, I know, I, I know. know. But I, <laughs> I got to send him like an old-fashioned record player or something like that for it. So. That's right. <laughs> I appreciate the podcast, uh, Matt. And thanks for, thanks for having me on. Of course. My, uh, my, my, closing, my closing question would be, 
Um, from your guys' world, what would be one advice to a business owner uh, going forward today? What would be, be your one piece of advice for the, the bootstrap or the venture back company that's maybe struggling or has no idea, this, you know, uncertainty? What would be your one uh, little bit of insight or piece of encouragement for them? I would say this is, I think this is a great time to start a business. Um, you're going to be able to get talent. Perhaps you couldn't get, perhaps you couldn't get before. Um, there is, if you're, I mean, if you're bootstrapped and you're bootstrapped, if you're looking for, for venture capital or other investment capital, there is a ton on the sidelines right now looking for a home. Um, and, and the, the challenges that we're all facing right now, you know, this too shall pass. And, and I don't know when COVID's going to end, but I know in the history books down the road, this is going to look like a short blip. Um, so, so whether we got three months or six months or nine months to go, you know, build the foundation now. And then when we emerge from COVID and things really pick up again, you're ready to go. So I, I have the courage of your convictions and, and, uh, and starting a business, uh, or being in an early stage business and seeing that growth is, is just one of the most rewarding things you can do in your professional life. There's nothing like it. And so it's, it's fun. And now's a great time to do it. I think. Love that. Tim, yeah, what you got? I, I agree. I agree with Pete. Now, now's a great time to start a business. If anyone's been uh, looking to start one, it's a great time to do that. Uh, ultimately, cash is king. Cash, you know, keeping an eye on that uh, on that cash balance and, and making sure that uh, again, you're uh, you know, you you want to continue to be uh, in business. So don't do anything uh, that's gonna you know blow that cash number out of the water. But continuing. Um, to find ways to save money that can be through, you know, shop your different insurances, find a good, you know, like our customers are in the HR outsourcing business. They're typically saving small businesses money to come into, uh, to come into that relationship and providing guidance and expertise. So anything that you can do to ensure that you're just building that cash position to continue into the future and make investments, uh, into the future is really going to, really going to help your, help your business. So I'm excited for, um, I'm optimistic about the future business. I think it's going to be rocky for, for a couple more months, but I'm very optimistic uh, that small businesses will continue to be the backbone of the country and can, will continue to just really grow in, uh, and thrive here. Amen. Love that. Well, Tim, Pete, thank you so much for being a guest on this, uh, this podcast and what a fun conversation and appreciate you both. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.